We are back for another double dose of Jason X. It is the It's Always Friday the 13th podcast. I'm John Evans. I'm joined by Mike Kuchek and Vikram Wheat. And we are going to finish up our discussion begun last week of the last film in Jason's series of standalone films before the 2009 reboot. And of course, next time we're going to be looking at Freddy versus Jason. But let's wrap up this uh, this classic that you could call Jason Goes to Canada, in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's way less Jason in space than it's Jason in Vancouver. Yes, so where we left off, I believe we were talking about the fact that the ship is, you know, going to blow up and so on. They've got some issues and everyone's scurrying around trying to um, open this airlock so that the this other ship uh, can rescue them. And Jason is making that more difficult. He punches a hole in the wall and, you know, the hold starts depressurizing. And this character, Janessa, is suddenly being sucked towards space. And they're trying to save her. They get fingertips on fingertips, but she gives up uh, for some reason. And instead, she decides to just hang on to the floor long enough to deliver fairly well uh, this line of goodbye. She says, this sucks on so many levels, (laughs) (laughs) which uh, Mike referenced last time as something that Roger Ebert uh, used in his scathing review at the time. Yeah, it was was a half-star review let off with that line. Yeah, and I was a little disappointed by that because uh, Jason punches a hole in the wall and it's causing suction. And um, she lets go and uh, we we cut from her letting go to a reaction shot and we get a sound off screen and then we cut back to the hole and now it's it's got like a little bit of drippy gore around the edges. And I, I am the... You know, due to the magic of cinematic editing, we can presume that she got sucked out through the hole. And I really wish that they had either the budget or the blessing from the MPAA to have given us that actual shot. Absolutely. Yeah, that was uh, weak sauce. They have like sort of this pinkish goo uh, residue left around the, the hole. And that's supposed to imply that her larger body was sucked through a smaller hole, which you're right, would have been potentially pretty cool if we had been able to see it. But uh, nope, denied. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> hey, kids, you know that really awesome thing that would have been really awesome? Well, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not particularly like well shot either. I mean, the whole cinematic uh, language and the geometry of the sequence is, is sketchy. I don't even know why Jason punched that hole in the first place. Like, did he know that would happen or, or well, what? You know- there is one really interesting thing about this movie. This is the first uh, Friday the 13th movie in which Jason does not cut the communications. You know, ordinarily he's going around pulling out uh, electrical wires and cutting the phone lines. Even when he's on the ship, he magically knows how to uh, cut the ship's uh, radio communication. The other ship. We're talking about Jason goes to Manhattan there. Yes, yes. And now that he's on the spaceship, He's, uh, I, I, at long last, we, we get some character logic in which, you know, Jason doesn't know uh, how to cut the communications. So he just, you know, he just basically turns into a Hulk from the first Avengers movie and just goes around and smashes shit up. You know, I made that note, too. He actually reminded me of the Hulk and his approach and his strength in this one. Uh, after, of course, he gets the Uber upgrade. Although I did, I didn't... Uh get to mention this when we in the first part of this but uh i did notice that jason manages to find some glass to jump through 
<laughs> if only he had thrown a girl in a nightgown through that. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, yeah it's otherwise gleaming metal ship. There was one window, and Jason found it, and uh, uh, I think after he's dispatched all of the Colonial Marines. Um, and also, actually, on the on the the girl getting sucked through the the hole, um, I did. I kept waiting for they're gonna, you know, how how are we gonna blow them out of the airlock? Because everything else in this is reminiscent of aliens. Um, but they did manage to work that in, which which correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that how they dispatch the alien in Alien Resurrection? Yes, there's a tiny hole in the hull, and the alien gets sucked into it and just has everything. Um, uh, sucked out of it into the the void of space i Uh, believe you're correct there just just to be sure that there's not one original idea in here (laughs) and uh, even the worst of the aliens movies get ripped off in this one what year did resurrection come out uh 97 or so i want to say it was definitely Uh, before this it was well before this yeah uh alien resurrection is the perfect example of a film that should be the most brilliant thing ever on paper and then you actually watch them and go wow this is uh terrible Kind of like Martin Lawrence in a cowboy hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of an inside joke if you missed last week, but hopefully uh, you listen to it. So uh, Jason is pursuing Brodsky, uh, who's you know Sergeant Opone from Aliens with a few modifications. He's, he's a, certainly a, a more buff guy, and that will come into uh, play soon enough as he goes toe-to-toe with Jason. But... Um, they need a diversion to distract Jason while Brodsky goes out and does an EVA, which is kind of funny that Rowan, our final girl, doesn't know what EVA is, even though I think that term originates in the early 80s, whenever we launched the shuttle program, uh, and she's supposed to be a scientist, but uh, whatever. She's not a science fiction nerd. It's okay. <laughs> she's not a science anything, uh, in my opinion. But uh, So... <laughs> This is probably the best scene in the film. Um, in fact, it might even be inarguable that the diversion to distract Jason is their sort of Star Trek The Next Generation holodeck. And uh, Suneron, uh, the terrible actor who's the brains of our operation, um, he spiffies up this representation of Crystal Lake circa 1980, I believe. It's in, you know, yeah, 1980. And there's a lake house added, so it doesn't exactly look like we're thrust into any of the specific earlier films, but it's still pretty cool because the original theme, that sort of eerie, foreboding piano uh, kicks in, the minimalist themes from the early films, and you you got to get a geek rush of adrenaline there, right? Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. I- well, I, I I actually was distracted uh, in my own way by this hologram uh, because uh, I, I kept thinking, "Is this an interior set? It really looks like an interior set." Yeah, it did. It actually did. It didn't look outdoors at all, other than the the lake itself kind of looked. It, real. it, it looked about as as natural as uh, as uh, an ex quarterback doing a commercial for a Weber grill on an artificial turf. <laughs> Well, but it, I mean, but it almost were like it had this, it had that, that artificial sheen to it, that it was, it was more Crystal Lake than Crystal Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you can, it was, it, this is one of those moments when we do see Jason react to his surroundings in a way where he, 
that you expect. I mean, that's almost, that's almost human where he kind of is like, wait, what? You're right. We were talking about that last time that there really were no beats that reflected Jason being aware of how ridiculous his situation is and how unfamiliar his surroundings are. And at least here they give him a modicum of reaction to being back home. But still, I mean, he doesn't talk. And as good as Kane Hodder is, uh, I think he was actually better in the beginning of the film when we talked about like the close-up of his eye moving around and tracking this sort of uh, kid guard that is watching him and the menace and the little details of, of Hodder's performance. We could have used a little more of that here. Absolutely. I, I, I was direly in need of a moment in which Jason Voorhees looks out the window and reacts to the fact that he's in fucking space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now, because, yeah, you know, they're just like, yeah, and they even make the joke that he's got a little brain. He's just a big dumb guy who likes to chop things, you know. So it's like, you know, yeah. that that's as far into the character of Jason Voorhees as this movie gets. Yeah, it's a shame that all of these movies in, and in some ways we're pushing the concept into, you know, new territory, even with this film, clearly. I mean, at least literally we're in new territory. We're out in space. But Jason himself as a character never evolves, you know, like you would think on some level that with all this tinkering that each movie does, all this really radical deviating from the proven formula of of like the core four, Jason himself never, you know, gets a little smarter or we see other facets of his personality or a little bit of sense of humor or, you know, maybe, maybe he has a degree of, he has a soft spot for something like any, any potential change of his personality it just never happens in fact he gets more and more boring <laughs> yeah I, I you know that, that's the other thing that i of the many things i disliked about this film it's uh they, they treat jason Voorhees like he's an action figure and then when they make him a cyborg then he actually looks like an action figure he looks like a giant dumb action figure from like some to- kid's toy box you know he, he looks like a power rangers villain well, but that's that's part of why I think this moment works so well. Because you could argue that Jason devolves over the course of the series. Like, not only does he not grow as a character, he actually becomes less of a character. Oh, um, yeah. We spend a lot of time talking about Jason and his motivations and, and his relationship to Crystal Lake and yada yada through the first two, three, even four films. After that, especially once Jason becomes a, a, a zombie, um, he really does just become a killing machine. Um, literally well, with, case, with yeah. the exception yeah literally in this case with yeah. the possible exception of new blood where i thought having the mask off for like 20 minutes of the movie and he's so expressive and he's so emotional and animated again kane hotter uh and some fantastic makeup work uh i think that was like the high point for him as yeah. far as his expression well, and we don't so- get that afterwards That's true, but this moment in the holodeck is the one moment that I feel like breaks that, uh, breaks that, that downward spiral. Um, this is a moment when Jason and his motivations are, are, uh, exposed and he behaves, I mean, he gets, I mean, irritated, maybe furious. I don't know, the, the hottest performance in, in what's coming, um, really matters just the physicality of it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's get to that. Well, I, I, uh, before we touch on it, uh, the the other thing that I was thinking about when I was watching the scene was, I, I throughout the entire movie, I, I kept thinking of 
how did we get from Crystal, you know, the first movie to here? You know, be, I, I, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the little whisper game that you do when you're kids and it's like you all sit in a circle and like uh, the teacher whispers in one kid's ear and it goes all the way around the circle. And by the time it comes back to the last kid, like it's something completely different. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, we would call that telephone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like this weird game of you know telephone, and that it, it's it's almost like throughout the ten films, you know, the legend of Jason Voorhees has been re-whispered to another set of filmmakers. So you know, in the opening, it's you know, in the first one is basically like a Psycho meets uh, Halloween kind of lift, but and by and then we get. By the time we get to ten, it's we have this giant hulking dude, and he's a robot, and he's in space, and it's like, God, how did we get from there to here? Well, if you look and, at um, it that way, it really is kind of the quintessential campfire tale. It is the urban legend, like we've been talking about from the very first film, that in a way, it's it's extraordinarily meta in that the franchise itself has become that tale that changes in the telling. And even though we're basically telling the same story over and over and over, by now, you know, all of these years and iterations told by different people later, it's something completely different, which that's a really good point, Mike. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and and it's, you know, I was kind of chewing on it throughout the entire watch, and it kind of came to stark realization when the hologram comes up, and now Jason is standing in Crystal Lake, and he's taken aback because he's like, oh, shit. A, how, what, what the fuck just happened? Also, B, like he's he's reacting to the fact that he's home, you know. And um, it, but it is weird that like Crystal Lake is trees and a lake and a lake house and da 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 da. But he's now like a robot, you know. It's yeah. Yeah, it would be like if, I mean, it would be like if Michael Myers got got like deposited back in Haydenfield, Illinois, and now he's made out of bricks. With, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the artificiality of the surroundings is kind of important in in a sense that like this is the Disneyland version of Crystal Lake. Like if it looked too real or too much like a location, it would almost undermine the effect because like the filmmakers and the scene really need us to realize that this is a an illusion, a very vivid illusion, but it is an illusion. And that carries over when we meet these two ridiculous caricatures of his earlier victims. These two girls, and I played the clip at the beginning of our last show, they, uh, they've got sleeping bags. And it's interesting that one is uh, Asian, which doesn't exactly compute with the early films yeah very um, uh, uncommon although uh, i and yeah I, I don't think we get a, a asian character and kill until uh, kelly who mm-hmm. in eight yep so there's a uh, score one for diversity if not exactly um <laughs> authenticity <laughs> so they pop out and they give him this uh spiel and it ends with we love premarital sex which I actually thought was a lot funnier if you haven't just watched Jason Goes to Hell because there's an extremely similar but subtler gag in that film. We discussed it when we covered it. But the same studio is basically making the same joke one movie later. And yes, like this is a number of years later. Um, But for me personally, when I saw this scene in the theater, I was howling with laughter. I just absolutely loved it. 
so it was better in my mind's eye than it played this time revisiting it because of having seen basically the same joke told, uh, you know, two weeks ago or whenever we watched Jason Goes to Hell. Right. It's still would, pretty funny, though. Well, yeah, and it I, is. I, my reaction, I mean, what I remember most distinctly about this was uh, I talked very early in the podcast um, about my first uh, Halloween experience when we took uh, Halloween weekend and watched all of the movies uh, up to Freddy versus Jason. They hadn't done the reboot at that point. Literally just back to back to back over the course of a weekend. And when you watch them in that kind of succession, it really feels like the entire series is building up to this joke. It was funnier than, than, than the funniest joke in any comedy I've ever seen. Now, you're a little punch drunk at that point and a little actual drunk. But um, <laughs> uh, it really is. I mean, it encapsulates everything that is that is ridiculous about uh, – uh, the franchise, I guess. I don't know. It was, it's just perfect. And then, I mean, so I, if I recall, so the, we get the girls and they're, Oh, do you want, do you want to drink or smoke pot or have premarital sex? We love premarital sex. And then they, you see Jason sort of take one step toward them. And again, this is Kane Hodder's performance in this moment is just perfect um, because it's, he's clearly sort of seething <laughs> at the prospect of this without, you know, uttering a sound. We cut away to uh, to our, our people, and then we cut back, and he is beating one girl with with in the sleeping bag with the other girl in the sleeping bag. Yeah, and then he just you know like his fury, he still just slams the one girl into the tree. Um, yeah, yeah. The the, the, the the final slam into the tree is 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 pretty funny because it's it's kind of like a there. You know? Yeah, it's like and <laughs> this is really fantastic, and I think it's because it it ups the ante. You know, like I mean, by now the sleeping bag kill is part of lore. You know, it's it's mm. it's even in the video game, right? It's in the Mortal Kombat game. Somehow they they do a sleeping bag kill fatality. Um, but yeah, it, this it is probably Sonya's head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is probably Jason's uh, signature kill, I would say, of the whole of all time. And so to double down on that literally um, is is kind of brilliant. And it it's it plays entirely as comedy. Uh, they're literally saying "ow," you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I I, I can also uh, imagine their spirits in the afterlife, and uh, and the other ghosts go. So how did you die? Well. I was picked up, I was in a sleeping bag, and my other friend was in another sleeping bag, and a giant robot psychopath from the future came and picked me up and beat me to death with her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I got hit by a car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think that really takes the, the sequence to the heights that um, I remember, and I, I do have a tremendous fondness for this scene. Uh, I, I think that this scene, the way that the comedy plays out, uh, com- very specifically underlines that Jason Voorhees is the ultimate expression of angry social conservatism. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, I, I, basically, we, we have two young, beautiful girls who enjoy drinking, they enjoy doing mild uh, drugs, and they enjoy uh, having sex outside of wedlock. And uh, we have this giant red-eyed, hulking robot man whose immediate response is to murder them. Just to fucking murder them. And, uh, and, and he is 
ironically enough, he's our hero. We show up to see this guy do this stuff, you know? So, I mean, it's... That's right. Be- we are rooting him on in this scene. Yeah. And, uh, and, and when we watch these movies and we see characters have sex, we go, oh, now you're in trouble because Jason's going to get you, you know? But we're not going, boo, Jason Voorhees, what a stick in the mud, you know? We're like, yeah, go cut her head off, hooray! So, you know, I, I, I think that these films very much plug into Stephen King's observation that horror as a genre is actually perhaps the most socially conservative of all genres. You know, though, that's obviously a big conversation, but I'll just say, especially here, and I really believe in general with the horror genre, it's a Mm -hmm. caricature of conservatism. You know, you never get the feeling that the filmmakers are earnestly trying to send us a message. I mean, if you right. compare this to like one of those Kirk Cameron Christie films or something like, you know, it's so obvious that this is almost by accident conservative. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, 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 I think that it's more specific in the very first movie where we have an angry mom at the teenagers and she's not even angry at the teenagers for having, you know, uh, gotten drunk and fucked. It's only because they got drunk and fucked and were thereby distracted while her child was in trouble. You know, I, well, that I, I, elevates it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, it's a, you know, it's it's the you did bad things and now my my kid's dead, so now I'm going to kill you for doing bad things. You know, well, so that, that drives home the conservative idea in a way because Jason, if you, you know, if you look at it, because we assume that that's Jason's motivation as well. He's it's for the children. He's got to beat those girls to death within their sleeping bags. To protect the, the children. Yes, we're doing it, but yeah, it, it, yeah. It, Somebody, it, please think of the children. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this girl has to be beaten to death in a sleeping bag because we have to protect children from drowning. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think if there were truly conservative aims or agendas behind any of these things, it would be crushingly obvious. If, if there's any one thing that uh, you know, we, we can thank uh, like very conservative-minded cinema for is a complete lack of subtlety or irony yes. uh and and in this case it's like yeah john i i i don't think that the friday the 13th movies are like you know secretly funded by the gop or anything like that you know it's like yeah but it is like when when you look at the you know just just the parts of the machine you know you, you go huh isn't that something yeah you know? i agree that's very interesting and we have theaters full of teenage boys going yay Hooray for the giant man who punishes you for doing fun things that your parents wouldn't like. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, it really, it's also classic reverse psychology uh, in the sense that, like, anything that's wrong or taboo or dangerous or you shouldn't do it, what are kids and teenagers especially going to do? You know, what are they drawn to? Well, I mean, as as a whole, like, the horror genre uh, also really doesn't, you know, it really underlines the idea that, uh, you know, don't go out, don't violate rules, don't go outside the light of the campfire. Yeah, but it only serves to make it, it adds a little bit of an extra thrill when the teenagers watch one of these movies and then go sneak off and fuck. Like, it actually only ent- enhances and intensifies their activities. <laughs> well, well l- l- let me ask you guys a somewhat personal question. Have either of you ever actually fucked while watching these movies not to my knowledge in fact no how about you Vic? how, how, how many prostitutes have you uh banged? 
while watching Brad 13 movies. <laughs> I think the, the answer is probably none. <laughs> but uh but but i may have to rectify that now <laughs> all right so let's move on km the robot girl uh her head has been knocked off at some point and yeah uh, she, she reminds me of uh, uh claire in uh danger five where the guy's uh walking around with her severed head under his arm right right something that crossed my mind in relation to her is that you know there, up to this point, there hadn't been a ton of characters like her that I can think of. And it's sort of funny in a year where Ex Machina is getting like just insane amounts of love. Like every everyone I talk to is like, that's my favorite movie of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just kind of funny that in some ways this character prefigures that in that like she has this a romantic, even sexual relationship with a human being uh, that is legitimate. You know, it's not um, it's not an act. It's not her pretending. And I mean, I, I think there was the film like Electric Dreams, like a really obscure early '80s film. But even I like the Electric Dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was uh, kind of Chicago based, I believe. If I'm not mistaken. But in it, any event, it, yeah, it was the kind of movie that played at like uh, ten in the morning on on TV like a million times in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, like Blade Runner, for example, I don't really know. I mean, yeah, that we make a big deal out of spoiler that Rachel is a you know a replicant and what? <laughs> you bastard, angry emails coming my way. <laughs> I, I guess we could get into X Machina, and I don't want to, but it's, I just think it's kind of funny that this character um, is more interesting than the movie around her in some ways. I was honestly, I was mostly distracted by um, the the clumsy framing that they used to yes. scenes where they didn't have to show. So he was constantly cradling her head just on the edge of the frame, <laughs> so that it was she was clearly just laying in his lap, and um, you know. But we, oh no, it's just her head. Like that's all you can see. Yeah, the, the, there's a couple of wider shots in which it's a really, really, really fake looking head. Like, like, like they could get, could have gotten the head out of a fucking department store. And then you know? even when it's the real her, I kept you were talking about being distracted by you know the production values or wondering how they shot something. Yeah. Well, when it's her real head, and I'm just imagining her uncomfortably lying under the frame with this guy's arm wrapped around her face. Like it was very distracting to me, thinking about yeah. how they shot it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, she she is um, conscious, kind of like Ash in uh, in the first Alien. Uh, you know, you can talk to her and she'll respond, and, and she hasn't lost her wits. And you know, it wasn't far from my mind that these characters are already in a loving sexual relationship. So yeah. if you yeah. put two and two together, like he could have fucked her head if you wanted <laughs> to, and it would have been consensual. Now, sex. what if? What if, Mike, he had gone to the holodeck with her head <laughs> and put on a Friday the 13th movie and started fucking her head? <laughs> would, would that have been a transcendent sexual experience? <laughs> only, if he was, only if he was drinking and smoking pot while he was doing it. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> and they're not married at this point. Yeah. yeah. So I might skip something here because I got to be honest, my notes got a little sketchy at the end. Uh, so if I do, you guys just, uh, you know, circle back. But my next note is that Brodsky goes toe to toe with Jason 
and they narrow their eyes on both sides. And meanwhile, while they're clashing, the others get away in the Tiamat's shuttle. Uh, that's the other ship. And yep. then their ship blows up, and we see that Jason is somehow being jet propelled right after them. And it looks like he's just going to, you know, climb right into the shuttle and kill them. But Brodsky appears and intercepts him, so he can't, Jason can't get there. And they go sailing off into space, and everyone watches out the porthole as they uh, go around. The, the Earth 2 is where we are. And the two of them start to burn up on, on reentry. And it, it's a tremendously comical shot of Brodsky and Jason sort of intertwined in a way that it <laughs> looks like Jason is just taking Brodsky for a ride at this yeah, point. It's a ride. <laughs> Yeah, but then we do have a good little beat here, the the final beat, which is uh, they they crash land somewhere on Earth 2, and there's a lake, and there's a young couple at the lake, and they observe what appears to be, a, to them, a shooting star, and, you know, I think the guy says, make a wish, and then they kiss, and then they say, oh, it landed in the lake, let's right. go check it out. Yeah. And the final yeah. shot of the film is the burned up new mask landing on the bottom of a lake. And so there's a there's kind of a great symmetry and callback there to how often Jason ends up at the bottom of a lake. Yeah. Uh I I, I had a couple of thoughts about that sequence. I, I I thought it was interesting that Brodsky earlier in the movie is uh stabbed repeatedly and we think that he's dead. But uh, not only is he rescued by another character, but they actually bring him back to full health um, in the nanopod thing. And I, and ordinarily in, in, in a movie when someone is like on the brink of death and they're brought back, like they're 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 not then dispatched again, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I thought that that was kind of interesting. I thought that was cool that um you know he would give him he would give his life to uh you know fight Jason long enough to uh get everyone uh away to safety. And, yeah, he, I, he's no Creighton Duke, but he is a badass. Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, yeah, him and Creighton could, uh, <laughs> could beat the shit out of the universe. Uh, <laughs> if, if they teamed up with Demon, the three of those guys driving around Demon's hand, <laughs> rocking shit up, I would watch that show. <laughs> but, oh, uh, the spinoff. That should have been the Friday the 13th of the series. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like but, Supernatural. Uh, I, I, I thought it was cool that um, you know Jason gets blown out of the ship and comes flying at them like there's a relentlessness to it, uh, you know that 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 serves the character. It's just like God, you just. And you, I think even the resurrected chick uh, is is like God. We just can't get away from this guy. Um, but and I thought that was neat that Brodsky then appears and and deflects Jason's trajectory. But then I thought, how exactly did that happen? <laughs> yes, yeah, so you got to stop. You got to stop right there. If you start thinking about the physics involved, it, it really does fall apart. Like if he had a jetpack, okay, but I don't recall him having a jetpack. So it, it, it's he got blown out of the ship and uh, on a parabellum that just so happened to coincide with. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's, well, actually, if I recall, I, I think he did have. I mean, if you think about like the the EVA suits that we use in like gravity or something like that. They uh, do have, it does have a little propulsion mechanism on it. Okay. I think I saw that in the, the split second in which he flashed across the scene and grabbed Jason. 
I could be making that up. Gotcha. That might, yeah. that might have been my brain trying to make connections that weren't there, so that it. Yeah, made... no, no, it's it, like, it I, certainly I, I, plays as ridiculous. Um... It's, it's still ridiculous. <laughs> they were inside a ship that exploded. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it exploded behind them and just kind of popped them out of the ship like a cork. Uh, I guess. Yeah. But uh. <laughs> but uh, I I realize that you know I'm I'm burning brain power in the space physics of Jason X, but, um, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was a moment where I'm just like, okay, I can see why someone thought that was cool, but uh, how, what? <laughs> yeah. What do you guys think about that uh, final little mini scene that I mentioned? I think it's great. I mean, I think it's a, you know, it fits perfectly sort of with the tone of the movie. It does. We've talked a lot about how disconnected this is from other Friday the 13th films, that it's, you know, it's essentially a, a science fiction action thriller like Alien or Aliens. Um, this this and the, the holodeck sequence are really the two moments that bring it back to Crystal Lake and Jason and the Friday the 13th that we know. And it's, I mean, again, it's a silly movie. Like, I'm, I, I wouldn't use any of those uh, elements to justify its existence. But if you have to make another Friday the 13th movie and you have to put him in space, those touches help help uh, connect it to the franchise up to this point. And... You know, it, it it works. Yeah, I, I was actually intrigued by the idea of like a a, a legendary murderer from old Earth, like kind of, you know, like a you know like an extant, you know, sample of the bubonic plague, you know, coming back to life. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, making its way to Earth too by this you know, bizarre set of coincidences. Um, yeah, it I, seems like was... something that has probably been done with Jack the Ripper multiple times because for sure. a while there, everyone wanted to make a Jack the Ripper film. And he often came back to the 20th century in various films. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and it's uh, Ooh, do you remember time after time? Sure. That's what I was going to mention. Yeah. That movie. Oh my God. It was like, totally. but um, yeah, uh, I, 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 it's, it's kind of an interesting concept. You know, that we get set up with the end. And uh, I, I think what New Line should have done was to immediately do uh, 10 remakes of all 10 of the movies in which uh, they do shot-by-shot remakes, uh, except every time they refer to Crystal Lake, they call it Crystal Lake 2. <laughs> well, I think that uh, the creativity of this franchise, you could argue it surpasses that of any horror movie franchise because none of them go as far afield to my knowledge as this does. I mean, say what you want. This is not a shallow retread or a shot by shot remake of part four. You know, Uh, we are absolutely pushing the envelope every time out. It's almost like, um, it's almost like, an entirely new series every time out, like we were talking about with the body swapping one being Jason goes to hell. Uh, you know, I, I would say that less so with with five it not being Jason, but that's kind of ballsy. Then we have the carry element in the next one, and then the bizarro mythology with the little boy Jason coming in and Jason takes Manhattan. I mean, I would just say overall that as we look back on all of these films, I'm struck by 
you know, a repetition has not set in in my experience of these films, and that's kind of why I enjoyed this one as much as I did, is that, say what you want, I am not watching the same goddamn Friday the 13th movie done over again. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, it it is interesting to me that, uh, you know, 5 doesn't actually have Jason Voorhees as a character in the story, but but he's all over it. It's like very clearly a Friday the 13th movie. And in a sense, by the way, I just want to throw in there that the cool thing about that one is that it really is the legend or the idea of Jason Voorhees that is so powerful. It it makes all of this happen. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting, you know, the exact opposite is New Line makes two of these movies and in both of them, the 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 overriding idea seems to be to make two Friday the 13th movies that have as little to do with Friday the 13th or Jason Voorhees as possible. You know, it goes to hell. It's like, what if he's like not even really in it? (laughs) And this one, it's like, yeah, what if we turn him into an action figure in space at at the very end to get get a hologram of Crystal Lake and that's it. If, if there is a competition for that, I know I brought it up before. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, is right. batshit crazy and has Tom Atkins, which none of the Friday the 13th movies do. Due respect to Creighton Duke. Yeah, I think the idea behind uh, Season of the Witch was to uh, kind of use Halloween as a moniker for uh, like an anthology series mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to do the feature film version of, you know, like a Twilight Zone kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, that one movie definitely you know stands out amongst the halloween films but for the most part they are pretty much uh, a slog of more or less the same situation playing out over and over and over the halloween sequels are so shitty because they deviated so far afield with three you know, uh, and the reaction was so fucking negative that, you know, uh, the filmmakers from that point out was like, all right, all right, fine, 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 fine. It's Michael Myers and walks around and stabs teenagers. Boom, we're done. The audience rejected their their innovation, and that's uh, that had a chilling effect on the, on the rest of the franchise. Whereas with this, like, clearly they were going for broke every time out. Like, uh, at least they had the balls to do that, so... Yeah, it's been fun. Um, Vic, any final thoughts on this or like all ten movies that we've seen? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna save my summations till we we reach the end of this yeah. marathon, as, as Quentin Tarantino so eloquently wrote in Pulp Fiction. Let's not start sucking each other's dicks just yet, gentlemen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I'm not uh, sure I expected that reference at that moment. But I'll roll with that. Any any time you get started before you you know you, you get ahead of yourself, I feel like that's the that's the proper <laughs> phraseology to use. Um, but um, uh, I mean, look, it's it, it's not a good movie, um, but it's funny. It does its own thing and and sort of on its own terms. I I feel like it kind of works. I mean, nobody's. Uh, gonna write treatises. I bet no one will ever speak for as long as we have about it uh, in in uh, diagramming the intricacies of the film. Um, but there are pleasures to be had. Um, they that that make it uh, uh, a worthwhile uh, little Friday the Thirteenth movie. I'm glad they didn't continue along this trajectory. Um, but if you're gonna if you're gonna go this far afield, I don't think you could hope to come back with better results. 
Actually, to be honest, I would love to see what 11 would have been after this. Like, how much weirder could we get? Like, what would be the next logical step? For Jason, I'm sorry. I have to. I have to point out, John. They did write some books uh, about oh. uh, furthering this mythology. Um, no, I did not know that. And I'm, uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to get back to that real fast. Stalking around Earth too, and uh, chopping up aliens. Cast <laughs> legacy. Uh, uh, in 2005, uh, Black Flame, a subsidiary of Games Workshop, began publishing a series of paperback books based on Jason X and aimed towards young adults. Um, wow. Yeah. There are five books in the series. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, uh, that Jason is X, incredible. Jason uh, X, The Experiment, Jason X, Planet of the Beast, Jason X, Death Moon, and wow. Jason X, To the Third Power. <laughs> that's where we get back into the body swapping I think we could have combined the two and had him start computer swapping like he downloads yes. his consciousness into uh, computers and uh, it starts hopping from machine to machine uh, all of them picking up machetes along the way yeah if I were to do a sequel to this movie I would call it Jason XXL <laughs> <laughs> On you that know note, how far afield we can get, John? I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Jason Voorhees, male stripper. Yeah, he comes out with a mask and some little glittery banana sling. <laughs> the mask is the only thing he won't take off. That's the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he comes out with, like his big mechanic gear. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Jason us. in a police uniform. Yeah, <laughs> pour some sugar on me. He's unzipping it up and down. <laughs> now that should be a skit uh, online. All right, guys. I will uh, see you next time for Freddy versus Jason. Woohoo! Take it easy. Adiós. Again.